Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders from throughout the sports event industry. This is Matt Traub, Managing Editor of Sports Travel, and our program today includes a special recording from the Teams 22 Conference about the state of the youth sports industry. But before we begin, first a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Greater Ontario Convention and Visitors Bureau. Southern California's Greater Ontario is ready for action. With an international airport, over 6,000 hotel rooms, and 300 days of sunshine, we are the perfect location for your sporting competition or conference. The Ontario Convention Center is ready to welcome you. Visit gocvb.org today. And now, on to the conversation. Youth sports are a bigger industry than any professional sports league in the country and are valuable for destinations of all sizes. With multi-sport venues continuing to be built around the country, the industry shows no signs of slowing. But challenges remain, from keeping children safe at events to getting them engaged in the first place. In this discussion that was recorded at the Teams Conference and Expo in Oklahoma City, we brought together a panel of leaders in the youth sports space to discuss the industry's most pressing issues, opportunities for sports organizations and destinations to work together, and the future of youth sports across the landscape. In this discussion, moderated by sports travel publisher Jason Gewertz, we hear from Juris Cologne, the Chief Executive Officer for the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, Megan Ditchman, Vice President of Marketing and Partnerships for Elite Tournaments, Sarah Dyer, Senior Director of Operations for Event Connect, and Wayne Moss, Executive Director for the National Council of Youth Sports. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Wayne, let's start with you. You get to be next to me, so you get to go first. But let's talk a little bit just about your organization in case those are uh, people are not familiar with it and uh, what it is that you do and why Youth Sports Week uh, has been established. Yeah, so first of all, super excited about being here. The, uh, the partnership, certainly looking forward to it. Uh, the National Council of Youth Sports is a member organization. We're comprised of a number of different types of organizations, national community-based uh, orgs like Pop Warner and AAU, uh, localized mom and pop, uh, some folks in the uh, national governing bodies, uh, local park and rec and the like. And so the nature of our work really centers around four different areas. One is around safety, uh, the other is around uh, program quality, uh, very much interested in participation. Then finally, uh, this notion of uh, thought leadership and advocacy. So. Uh, you know, those are the, the key pillars. Uh, an example of uh, how that comes to life, we're currently really at work around, uh, you know, reducing youth sport injuries. There are about three and a half million young people who are injured uh, each year, and so uh, half of those are preventable, and so we're up to uh, helping young people reduce the number of injuries among young people. Right, and uh, we should mention each day of Youth Sports Week has a theme, and I believe safety happens to be today's theme, uh, which is a good segue, of course, to Jerice Cologne. Jerice, it's exciting to have you back on stage with us at Teams this year. Thank you for being uh, with us as well. Uh, as you know, we have a number of people here in the audience and with us this week who are involved in the, in the Paralympic Olympic communities, and I think a lot of people certainly are familiar with the work you have and the charge you have on the Olympic and Paralympic side, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the work that your organization does specifically with youth sports and kind of where, where that fits into you know, your mission and the things that your team is working on. So the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, we're largely known for 
investigations of allegations of abuse misconduct within the Olympic and the Paralympic sports. Um, but we do so much more than that. Um, a large part of our work is really centered around minor athletes and making sure that they're safe in, in environments, um, whether that means uh, policies that we develop or training that we, that we roll out, um, largely in part in, in partnership with a lot of folks that are in the room today. I think one of the, the best things that we're able to do is that we've been able to learn since this last five years that we've been open to understand what sort of things are impacting children and youth, whether they are um, practicing, they're at an event, they're on their way to an event, but really rolling a lot of the learnings that we have, um, that we've amassed into quality educational content. Um, and so as part of that, you know, we, yes, we certainly work with the Olympics and the Paralympics, but we've got nearly a, le- a thousand different um, organizations that we work with outside of the movement who have taken our policies, taken our educational training, and incorporated them into the sports that they, they do every day. Um, and for us, that's a, a tremendous accomplishment because, you know, while the Olympic and Paralympic movement, we are, um, you know, mandated to do a lot of this work, we've got a thousand organizations across this country who are opting in. Um, and they're opting in because they know that these resources, the educational content, and the awareness around how to understand and prevent and respond to abuse and misconduct is so very important. And we're seeing that really across the United States uh, and abroad. And it has really been um, fantastic because you've got all these organizations who really want to do the right thing, um, and they just need the tools to do them. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's uh, bring Megan and, and Sarah into the discussion as well. Megan, uh, as I mentioned, you're with uh, Elite Tournaments, and um, I think we'll, we'll segue the, the discussion here a little bit to what the past couple years have been like for event organizers. Uh, obviously, Elite has its uh, hand in a number of different things across youth sports, but I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, um, really what ways the youth sports events that you organize, uh, how they're different today than maybe they were, you know, uh, before the pandemic began and everything started to uh, turn upside down for a while? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously the pandemic was intimidating for us, especially working across so many different states. We had to be really knowledgeable about what was going on on a federal level, what was going on at a local level, and how we helped keep the athletes safe. Um, Luckily at this point, we've kind of operationally been able to move past COVID and we've been able to return back to sort of our roots in terms of how we set up events and things like that. But I think some things stuck around, one of which is um, just the user experience as a whole. People got used to being able to be communicated with early and often, and it was really important for us to just inundate our users and our families with as much information as possible, as early as possible, on how to, how to travel safely, how to arrive, um, and it sort of gave us the opportunity to escalate our event platforms and make sure that we were giving them the best experience possible, and that's become our new level of expectation in terms of how we operate. So that's kind of been a great place of growth for us, and it was a nice little nudge to sort of get into that space. Yeah. Well, and you talk about the user experience, which segues pretty nicely into the work that Event Connect does, that Sarah's involved with. You guys are really at the forefront of sort of connecting technology and the, and the youth sports experience. So uh, you've got a volume of events that come through your platform. You can kind of monitor, you know, trends here and there. Uh, I'm kind of curious, you know, what high level uh, thoughts you have of uh, the types of things you've been seeing here the last couple of years as you track youth sports, you know, through registration and all the things that you do, uh, how that ties into the user experience and, and trends that you've been get, keeping track of here the last couple of weeks and, and years. Yeah, so for sure. So through COVID, it was amazing. We actually got really good at canceling events. So it was something that was hard to do before, but um, really through, I would say through this year, March and May, we, we saw a lot of things really bounce back. 
And, you know, there's this concept of a little bit of revenge travel happening where we started seeing some of our event organizers having record years this year with registration because so many teams just wanted to get back out there again and participate in sport. And that was really important. But we do see those numbers increasing. You know, average length of stay is getting longer. Um, team size when they're booking, they're booking more rooms at one time. Uh, and even just reservations and registration before the event start, people are getting out there and making those bookings and those registrations a lot earlier than they were uh, during the pandemic because they don't want to have to deal with those cancellations that were taking place. So everything is getting back on track. And that time span is about another about 20 to 30 days out into the future that they're actually starting to book and get back engaged with registration with sport. Mm-hmm. Megan, out of curiosity, are you seeing that as well? Uh, you know, hearing what Sarah just mentioned about the, you know, the amount of registrations and, the, and how quickly people are registering for your events? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were really, really lucky through the pandemic to be a sport that was outdoors. So we were able to, um, you know, keep going. And we felt, honestly, a social responsibility to do that as well, because a lot of our clients are nonprofit organizations. So we were, you know, helping to try and put on things at a smaller scale to make sure that they were staying afloat during the pandemic, that kids that weren't able to see their friends at school had a safe space to, you know, participate with their peers and to, um, you know, be able to have that experience of childhood and playing sports and things like that. So um, we were lucky that our registration remained pretty steady, but we are excited to be back producing um, events on a national level and to return to that level of travel that we were used to before. Yeah, and as yeah, Jason, I was just going to say that, you know, I think there's a bit of like a, a tale of two cities in that. Uh, certainly, what we've seen is a return to play, and there's a lot of excitement. I think a lot of bent, uh, pent-up demand for play. Uh, if we look at some of the data points just regarding, uh, you know, COVID obviously uh, impacted us tremendously. You know, three and a half million uh, participants stopped playing during that, uh, during that period of time. However, uh, you know, the good news is that, you know, we saw increases in several areas in basketball and uh, indoor and outdoor soccer. Um, ultimate Frisbee was an area that, that grew. Uh, and so for those that were in that space that, you know, they wanted to get back playing in tournaments and so forth, definitely saw a lot of growth in that area. The places where I think that, you know, we saw some declines are uh, in some of those community-based programs and nonprofits that, you know, were more in community and not necessarily had that, uh, that economic incentive to, you know, to participate, if you will. So uh, some good news, uh, but there's also the opportunity, I think, for us to lift all of the boats. Yeah. I'll stay with you for a moment, Wayne, because, you know, your organization obviously is looking at youth sports uh, across a pretty large landscape. And as we sort of touched on, I think, from what Megan and Sarah were saying, and as everyone here in the audience knows, youth, youth sports is big business. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are kids, for sure, who are participating just for the love of the game. We know there's a lot of pressure on there for uh, other uh, kids who are on a, maybe a different track or whose yeah. parents believe they're on a different track, at least. So how does your organization and look at those issues and address that, that sort of inherent pressure that exists between are kids playing for the fun of it or are they being, you know, is there some pressure there still, uh, even in today's world, of them to be doing it maybe for different reasons? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, two things can be true. Uh, this certainly is big business, but at the same time, 
you know, there's the opportunity fundamentally as you look at youth sports and what it can and should be designed for, you know, really is that developmental opportunity. So we know that young people who participate in sport typically do better uh, across a, a number of different measures, whether we're talking about uh, health measures or social emotional leadership. And so I think that we can, and, and what we really, you know, come from is, uh, you know, promoting both of those things. So, you know, there's definitely the youth development piece that uh, is important. And I think undergirds anything that you do, no matter what setting uh, that you're in. And at the same time, we can continue on about the business of, uh, of sport. And so we really try to shine a light on uh, those developmental opportunities and why that's important. Uh, because one of the other things that we do know is that young people, uh, you know, 70 uh, percent of young people begin to stop playing by age 13. And so it's in our interest, all of our collective interests, you know, to ensure that it, the experience is fun uh, and that it's one that young people want to continue to come back to again and again. So, you know, all of our pipelines can be filled. All right, and Jerice will bring you back in here. Obviously, everyone wants the experience to be fun. They want the experience to be safe. Uh, you know, as we're hearing from Sarah and Megan, you know, who are sort of on the ground here and, and looking at the, the increased volume of events and opportunities, what I would imagine that poses some challenges for your organization. I mean, it's great that the industry seems to be growing and, and youth sports continue to be strong. Uh, from your end and the work that your organization does, I imagine that can be a, a tricky thing to stay on top of. So what are those discussions like at the Center for Safe Sport? Yeah, I'm slammed. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, registrations are up, membership is up, uh, and everybody's just coming back, right, which is fantastic. Um, but what we're seeing is that, you know, because, you know, especially kids who've taken two years off, um, the skills, the, the team building skills, the social emotional skills are lacking. And so what we're starting to see is an increase in this um, emotional and like physical abuse and misconduct that is um, sort of rising to the top at teams. Um, and so one of the things that we're, that we're working on right now is how to help people understand what that looks like and then start to incorporate it, not just in uh, the areas that we've got to, right, because we know that kids move from space to space to space, but when they're looking at um, working with new partners, when you're looking at um, hosting events, like what are the mechanisms that you have in place to be able to address some of that and to get it head on, right? Because a lot of the stuff that we see, particularly with like young kids and it's like emotional or physical, um, especially emotional stuff, can be handled at the local level, right? And so how do we make sure that event organizers and teams are able to address some of those things right away, right? So they don't rise to the level of a safe sport complaint. So they're not calling us, um, but you're handling them on the, on the ground, which we're starting to see more people um, really start to take an interest in that and not just the team organizers, but it's also the parents. It's also the venues. It's also the organizations who are managing all of this. And I think now as, as we're starting to move in the same direction, understanding that we all have a connection to, to this, Every person in every group and every organization and every venue is starting to understand what their role is. Um, and the more that we can um, just really push that and help people understand that, I think that all kids will be just a lot safer because you've got more eyes, right? right? You've got more focus. And what does that look like for you, though? What are some of the programs you have or, you know, if there are event organizers out in the audience as well, um, you know, what's available to them to have those conversations to make your job easier at the, you know, at the back end uh, if those things are being addressed up front? 
Well, so we have a suite of model policies that we encourage all organizations to take a look at and use. Um, they're certainly uh, geared more towards Olympic and Paralympic organizations, but a lot of the local affiliated organizations that sit underneath them. Um, so they're really usable for every day, every community. Um, they need to be modified typically when, when organizations take a look at them, but I'd start there. Um, we're also really building out our audit and compliance functions to help organizations really understand um, what it looks like when a policy is working well and when there needs to be some work. Um, and really putting out more resources to help folks um, be able to manage some of that on their own. And we're doing, we're doing a pilot right now um, ahead of the 28 games uh, out in LA um, to really kind of test some of this and how easily incorporated it can be into um, to different locations and, and venues, which is really exciting for us. All right, and uh, Megan and Sarah will bring you back in here. Uh, Megan, we were talking about the, the, the growth of youth sports, obviously a, you know, an overall theme here of this discussion. And I think, you know, when I think of, of your organization, in particular elite tournaments, uh, I know you as a soccer organization, and uh, you, know, you recently reached out uh, and branched out to lacrosse. I'm curious, as an event organizer, how you're tracking those trends and, and what those decisions are like as you're looking at, at kind of where youth sports is headed and, and what sports and events uh, make sense right now for the market. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about what those discussions are like at your shop um, as you figure out where where you're going and the and the services that you're offering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, honestly, the main reason for the success of elite tournaments is our relationships. Coming to shows like this, meeting with destinations, listening to our partners, and listening to what they want to see, where they want to see it, what they're seeing in their local communities. Um, so, you know, sometimes you're watching trends and then sometimes it's time to be part of the trend. So we, you know, we, we, we saw where we were in youth soccer and we saw that the landscape was getting saturated and we were really secure in where we were. And so we looked at, you know, operationally, how can we take our logistics plan and how can we move that and our marketing into another sport that makes sense for us? Um, we had some key members of our company that had some background in lacrosse and we had, um, you know, some key relationships in the sport. So we took our time and we did our research and, um, you know, it, it, it took us more than one bid to get in with a partner that we wanted to work with. But, you know, we took that four years and we evolved and we understood what they needed and we put that plan in, but we found the right organization that we wanted to work with that meant a lot to us. And we knew that our success was going to depend on, um, you know, the relationships within the industry that already existed for lacrosse. Um, even now, as we're sourcing our events, we still go to... Um, you know, facilities and relationships that we've been building for years that we're like, we're going to work with you someday. We don't know when, we don't know where, we're going to bring an event to you. So, um, you know, we, we, we like to grow strategically, but a lot of times it's just intuitive. It's who we want to work with and, and knowing that someday you're going to get there. It's just all the puzzle pieces have to come together. Yeah. And as we uh, talk about, you know, the growth of participation or different trends in different sports. One of the things, you know, Sarah, as you know well, that's changed over time is the technology available for all of these event organizers. I mean, your, your company obviously uh, does that as well, and there are, there are others. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of the role that technology is playing right now in helping all of these uh, event experiences. There are many more events, um, but there are more events to service, and you're, you're seeing that on a, on a regular basis from your end. Yeah, so I think with the technology side is, you know, it can intimidate a lot of people. And the point of bringing technology into the operations of an event or anything like that is really to start optimizing your operations. It's a cost savings. Um, you know, we look at 
you know, any kind of business, when they make a decision, uh, you should be doing that around data. And that is where we generate data from, is from the technology to have a, a smart decision, a smart business decision moving forward on an event to ensure that that company is still scaling and growing as, you know, Elite Terminus has over the years. And, you know, we always say, like, data should still be in the boardroom. It should be a part of all the decisions. And, and when you're using technology to start aggregating that information and start making, you know, those competitive, differentiating decisions, it really is powerful. And, you know, we use, at Event Connect, we use bots. We use AI. Um, but we do so because, you know, as Megan alluded to earlier, the landscape of how people want to receive information now. They want it to be instantaneous. That really changed during COVID. They wanted an answer right away. Um, but using a technology, whether it's through bots or AI or help desks, allow participants to get that information as quick as they can. And that all really goes down to the experience that they have with the event. Uh, you know, the point of bots or AI or any of that kind of technology is not to replace people, it's to create better experiences. It's so that your staff is not handling the same repetitive questions all the time. They can put their energy towards scaling and growth and strategic conversations, but not answering the same questions of, oh, how do I log in? Or how do I do this? Or where is this form on the website? You know, allow technology to take over that side of things. So I think what is changing in the landscape is that concept of business sophistication, whether that's through any company or organization of that kind of experience or, um, yeah, really the experience that they bring to their, to their teams. Yeah. Well, I want to take the conversation uh, sort of through a destination perspective. We have, of course, many uh, destinations from across the country that are with us. And as, as we talk about youth sports, Wayne, it's interesting to me, you didn't uh, touch on it initially, but it's worth noting, uh, of your organization, of course, you have a number of sports organizations, as I would expect, who are members. You also have a lot of uh, convention and visitor bureaus and destinations who are members. And I guess I'm curious why that is and where your organization sees the significance of having, uh, you know, destinations as part of the discussion when your group specifically is focusing on youth sports? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I think folks are interested in NCYS for a variety of reasons, uh, you know, some of which is a, be a part uh, aligned to, you know, a larger movement, if you will, a community of youth sports. Some of it is, you know, certainly being able to key into some of the key information as it relates to, you know, youth sports, the trends that are happening that helps to serve them as they go on about doing their daily work. Uh, and then, you know, I think uh, some of it is the alignment around uh, specific organizations that are part of uh, the NCYS membership. You know, ultimately, one of the reasons why we're here is we're looking to, you know, build that relationship with uh, DMOs and want to make sure that we're able to service them even better. Uh, so, again, one of the reasons why we're excited to be here uh, at Teams so that we can have uh, that kind of face-to-face -face engagement uh, so that ultimately, uh, as Jerry said, you know, we all play a, a vital role in all of this. So it's, it's a part of pulling all the pieces together. Yeah, and I'm curious, Jerice, as well, from your perspective uh, at Safe Sport, you're obviously working very closely with sports organizations, uh, but they're doing events in destinations across the country. What is your perspective about the role 
that a destination can play or things that cities really need to be aware of when we're talking about the safety of, of athletes coming into their communities to participate in sports, what role do they play? What should they be doing? Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, you know, we see a lot of interesting things at events. We, we started going to uh, youth, uh, youth sports events probably two years ago, right? The tail end, end of COVID in 2021 to better understand how rules were in play, how policies were in fact, but also to make sure that the people who were supposed to be there were there and people who weren't, weren't. Um, and so a big part of our work right now, um, as we think about making sure that venues are safe, is to have a really solid understanding of like what, who we are, right? Because I think there's a lot of confusion around what the Center for Safe Sport does. Um, but also to understand that there's a reason why there are certain people that we have on our centralized disciplinary database. And if you're hosting events, you probably don't want those folks around your kids, right? Whether you are a parent, whether you're a coach, or you're hosting the event yourself. Uh, and I think that it's really important as you're starting to look at um, how you incorporate more safety and, and really have a, a more intense focus, particularly when it comes to planning events, um, that you look at those sorts of things as well, because it's not just, oh, I want to make sure everybody's background checked, or I want to make sure they have the right signage, right, or that everybody's signed up the right way. There's so many layers to safety um, when it comes to protecting kids and understanding, like, who those, like, what those pieces are, and then really making sure that everybody who is part of your event understands what those are um, can really go a long way um, because we've seen where the chain breaks, right? And that doesn't help anyone, and nobody wants to deal with, you know, something terrible happening in the bathroom at one of your local events, right? Nobody does. Um, and so making sure that everybody who's part of it, whether it's the staff, janitorial, like, whoever it is that's, that's, that's you know, staffing the event or planning the event understands what those things are, I think would go a long way. And so I encourage anyone who's hosting events with, with kids in particular to really take a, a really close focus and, and, and look at what do you have in place right now to make sure that they're safe? Um, because there's so many things that could go wrong, right? But there's also so many things that could go right. Um, and so you want to make sure that you, you're padding it the other way. Yeah. And uh, Megan, I mean, staying on the destination theme as well, uh, you know, we've heard, uh, you know, conversations that we've had both this week and at our conferences in the past of maybe how the dynamic has changed a bit between uh, destinations and right hol rights holders and what that discussion is like today then that might be different uh, from what we've all experienced here the last few years. I'm curious to get your perspective as, um, you know, as a rights holder and someone who, who pr produces events, what those uh, conversations are like or how, how that discussion from your end has changed uh, over the last couple of years with destinations. Yeah, I think trending as a whole, um, one thing that we noticed throughout the pandemic was the appetite for things at a local level. Um, for a long time, we were focused on the biggest and the best events at the national level and how do we expand and grow across the country. And then obviously, you know, airline travel got shut down and there was regulations sometimes crossing state lines. And so, um, you know, we found that we needed to continue to provide those local opportunities and then that kind of spiraled and grew and people decided, wait a minute, you know, we have to travel nationally for our league events and for our league travel. And it's kind of nice having tournaments close by on the weekends. And even our larger national clients, um, you know, developed that regional practice throughout COVID and they found such a positive response from teams. Um, because, you know, things like college recruiting, having schools that are closer to home and having more accessible trips for um, families to be able to drive places 
um, was huge for us. So we, you know, like I said, there's so many relationships that we've held on to for so many years that we wanted to have events that made sense. So now we're able to source those events both at a regional and a national level, and we're able to look at cities that, you know, maybe didn't have those 15, 20 field complexes for us, but they might have those eight field complexes and they might be able to help us provide those same high level opportunities, but just at a regional level, which has been really great for us. Yeah, and Megan, what have you noticed uh, as far as trends of uh, how far people are traveling uh, to your events? Did you notice any significant um, uh, travel changes when, you, when we're talking about youth sports last couple years? Um, you know, it, everything kind of just got put on hold and I think afterwards everybody went, um, kind of one of two ways. People were either like back and they're ready to go and they're ready to travel and they want it to be international and they want it to be big and they want to go all over the big cities. But there is a level of anxiety that's still there and there's a level of unknown. So then on the other side of things, you have people that are still more comfortable sticking to home or they don't want to make the big investments because, um, you know, they're not sure if a sickness is going to come up or things like that. So, um, it's not really a definitive answer. I think we've kind of seen it across the board go sure. both ways. No. I'll, uh, I'll actually put my uh, my dad hat on for for a moment. I've got a uh, I've got a 20 year old, and you know he's participated in uh, sport throughout his life. And uh, you know, as someone who was traveling quite a bit uh, as COVID came up, you know, as a parent, one of the things that I that I really looked for for providers and also. Uh, for, uh, you know, those uh, facilities that we were traveling to is what are the safety protocols? Uh, you know, clearly COVID was an issue, but I think, you know, to broaden that conversation, you know, I think it's important. Uh, and to the extent that, you know, we're able to demonstrate that, uh, that we're taking care of the young people who are coming in under our care, uh, we certainly feel much better about uh, that engagement at, at all different levels. So I think that it's important for us to, you know, really be mindful about all of the safety considerations, uh, not necessarily think about them in terms of either, you know, sort of this one-on-one thing, but think of them from a systems perspective. Uh, and I think that helps all of us as we move forward. Yeah. And uh, Sarah, just bringing it back to some of the points on, on travel, has your organization noticed any significant uh, trends one way or the other as far as... Uh, how far people might be willing to travel or where, you know, what regions or destinations seem to be Yeah, we saw a pretty good increase on teams willing to travel at least more than 100 miles. Uh, I think that's the bigger jump there that has been happening. And it's, you know, it does have to do with type of sport and what's available. And, you know, people aren't going to go on those big, long road hauls in the middle of winter to get to some sure. hockey tournament. But, you know, we are, we are seeing that gap. Um, but I would, like, I would commend a lot of the hotel chains. They have did a ton of work to in, ensure that their properties were safe. Um, you know, all the extra cleaning they've done, high touch points, um, if they've had to cut down on the amount of rooms available. Um, you see it today. I'm sure most of you haven't had housekeeping through most of your stay. Um, but they've done so much work on such a small staff as well. Um, obviously, the staff has been impacted at hotels, but I would commend the hotels for the amount of work that they've put into making sure that their properties are safe and to ready to receive people when they're ready to travel. And I know a lot of cities went above and beyond to get extra certifications with their cleanliness at their hotels and really take that extra step. So I think really to commend all those that really put in that extra effort to ready to be ready to receive travelers. That's yeah. great. 
Well, in the, in the time we have left, I always like ending these conversations maybe with a little bit of a look ahead, uh, if we can. So I'm curious uh, among the panel here to hear your thoughts uh, from your own different perspectives uh, in sports. Uh, what are some things you're most looking out for, either a trend or something that has your eye, say, over the next year or so as, as we talk about youth sports? Wayne, are there any particular things that, that your organization kind of is watching out for right now? Yeah, I'll start with it, or I'll end with where we started, which is, you know, I'm bullish on uh, where we are uh, as an industry. Uh, you know, we see increase in participation, you know, particularly at that 6 to 12 uh, age group. Again, that's good for, uh, for all of us. And so, you know, really excited about, again, this notion of getting more young people playing across a number of different uh, spectrums, if you will, so that, again, we can all get back to the, the business of play uh, in a fun and safe environment. Jerice? You know, I'm excited for um, kids to get back into sport and get back on teams because I feel like they're going to get nicer. <laughs> um, <laughs> who, who have you been hanging out with, Jerice? I just, I, I do. I, I, you know, we, we saw a decline, right, in just the way that people were treating each other over the last two years. Um, and I think that the more that we are starting to socialize again, right, and be just normal, right, and getting back to, to the things that we, we loved or we enjoyed doing um, and finding some joy in that, I, I, I do hope that, like, we're going to get, we're going to see more kids and their parents, um, but just be a little more kinder to each other so that, again, we are not on the receiving end of reports that come in that, you know, don't really need to have to happen. Sure. And uh, Megan, it's a pretty wide open question, but anything that you've got your eyes on? No, honestly, I completely agree. It's so refreshing to just have a return to fun again. I mean, I'm sure we can all relate to that, just coming back to conferences and even on an adult level, being able to interact with our peers and have fun. But on the event level, um, on the youth side, it's given us a permission to pay attention to things like production that maybe played second fiddle to operations before. So now it's kids are excited about things like blow up arches and, you know, extra activities and games and vendors and music. And everybody's just so much more involved in being out there. It's not just finish your game and go home. People are lingering because they're just happy to see other people having a great time. So honestly, it's, you have to look at the positives of what came out of the pandemic as well. And I think that that one part is really great for us. Right. And Sarah, your organization is tracking trends on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, but uh, as you think broader uh, over the next year, what, what, what's the conversation like for you? I know from my side, it's, it's watching hotel rates. Um, you know, mm -hmm. everybody's in a position right now to make up some of the losses over the last few years. Um, travels come back, and, but rates have skyrocketed, and it's made a lot of destinations not accessible to teams again um, and you know it's been hard because sports travel is what fed the market when we were in this little slump it's what came back first and just seeing some of these events where registration crashes because families just can't afford the prices that are coming into some of the hotels so I think for us it's, it's watching the rates um, everybody here all the different cities very competitive um, you know we're seeing you know, cities approaching different rights holders to say, hey, come to our city. You know, we aren't charging those astronomical rates, but it's the concept of accessibility so that people can travel. Uh, and then we aren't pricing ourselves completely out of the market and affecting those that do bring that economic impact to the city. With that, I would like a final round of applause for our incredible panel, Wayne, Derice, Megan, and Sarah.
Thank you all. Enjoy the remainder of Teams 22. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Traub for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.